You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Yes. Good morning, church. So glad you're here this morning. So glad you chose to come to church. Praise God. Last week we started a series called The Jesus Church. I'm going to continue in that vein this morning. The heart behind this series is pretty simple. I feel like many times we base our faith and our vision of the church that Jesus set in motion. We base our opinion of that church on our own personal experiences. Or we base it on church history. We look back on church history, which is difficult periods of church history, and then we we base our faith and our hope and our vision of the church on that instead of basing it on the Word of God. And I would contend that Jesus gave his life and paid a high price for a beautiful, glorious bride, a beautiful, powerful church in which the gates of hell would not prevail against. And so I want us to muster up a faith to believe that God's best is yet to come in our days ahead. I want us to believe with fresh faith that God wants us to take new ground for his kingdom, for his glory, through the church, through us, locking arms together and going after big things in him. And so the title of my message this morning is The Power of One. It's simply a message on unity. So I began to unpack the, the tensions that arise when we, we start talking about the, the faith and vision that Jesus set in motion for his church, his beautiful, glorious bride, I feel like next it's logical for us to talk about unity, which is very needed in our day and age, a very divided, uh, divided world in which we live in, and that has infiltrated the church. We live in a very divided age in the church. And so I want us to talk about unity this morning, but I want to dispel any sense of superficial unity as well. We're going to take most of our time to talk about what unity is, but I also want us to talk about briefly what unity is not, because we're, we're not going to settle for a superficial unity that the world would, would uh, uh, propose for us, which is really a, more of a form of relativism and universalism. That's not real unity, the Jesus Church unity that we're going to talk about this morning. Jesus' heart is for us to be one. So I'll just quickly look at a prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. He prays for himself and the price that he's going to pay on the cross. He, pray, he prays for his disciples, the ones that God has entrusted to him. And then he prays for you and I. You know, Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years ago. And he prayed for you and I in the context of church. Verse 20, um, John chapter 17, he said, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. That they may all be one. That is his heart, is that you and I would walk in unity. That they may also, sorry, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. His heart for us is to be unified, to be one, so that we can, we can actually represent him, the kingdom of God accurately to the world around us. That the world would see the, the, the validity and the authority of the message of Jesus through our oneness. There's power in our oneness, in our unity. And I want us 
to believe for that this morning. There's a spiritual element to the power of our unity. There's also a natural element to it. You can see it in many facets of this world. I'll just give one natural uh, example or illustration of the power of unity. Before I stepped into ministry seven years ago, I was an engineer for the Navy, so I worked in a naval shipyard. And so in that environment, I wrote shoulders with a lot of amazing people, amazing leaders. There were two individuals that, that I got to hang out with, became friends with, that they both had the aspiration or the ambition to become a Navy SEAL. This is like the elite group of highly trained warriors that they, they, they take on the, the government's highest, um, highest missions of, of, the, uh, of the greatest national security uh, priorities. I mean, these, these guys are doing stuff right now that, that, that would blow our minds. These are the Navy SEALs. But very few men actually get to be a part of this group. There's a, there's a rigorous um, uh, elimination process to choose the Navy SEALs. But specifically, I, I got to hang out with a guy named Johnny, who his ambition was to become a Navy SEAL and never ended up being a Navy SEAL. But he began to talk to me because he just, he just worshipped uh, this idea of becoming a Navy SEAL. But he, he, he talked with uh, great respect for the, the motto or the mantra, the mindset behind the Navy SEALs. He said their mindset in any mission is that 100% would go in and 100% would go out. It wasn't just accomplishing the mission. It was also that we're all going in and we're all coming out. It's not a 60% success rate. No, we're all going in we're all coming out. They said they also had this mindset of being fixed fully on the mission, knowing that your brothers got your back. You don't have to be trying to save your own rear end because you know your brothers got your back. They also had this mindset they were going to value their brother, the one fighting next to them, over themselves. These are the mindsets that are, that are in the midst of the Navy SEALs, and it's, and it's that mindset, those mindsets, that accomplish much. They've accomplished many amazing feats on this earth, and it's because of that, that's one aspect of it, is because of their unity. And I feel like, as a church, as the church, capital C, around the globe, the more and more we tap into this unity, this unity in Christ, the more we will accomplish. So our main idea for this morning is our unity will determine our impact. It's not the only thing that will determine our impact, but our unity will determine our impact. Our impact on our city, our families, our schools, around this globe is hinged on our unity, our oneness together in Christ. They're inseparable. So as we, as we begin unpacking this this morning, let's first just disclose what unity is not. I want us to be really clear about what it is not. So you can set aside any hesitations you have to receive a word on unity. I want to be very clear that in, in a world that would maybe espouse a certain version of unity, unity does not mean that we forfeit truth. That's not true unity. And some would have an, uh, a hesitation to to contend for unity because they believe that they have to set aside certain non-negotiable truths. No, we're going to talk about that this morning. There are certain non-negotiable truths that actually increase the level of depth of our unity. It does not mean that we forfeit truth. It's actually um, encamping around certain non-negotiable truths that, that strengthen our unity. Secondly, unity does not mean uniformity. In fact, if 
If, if you ever have a leader stand in front of you and tell you that unity does mean uniformity, you should run for the hills. That's creepy. U- unity does not mean uniformity. You don't need to look like your neighbor looks and acts and the things they're gifted in. The beauty of the body of Christ is di- diversity of, of parts and functions, but with one head, Jesus Christ, and an overarching mission, accomplishing something great across this globe. So it does not mean uniformity. And thirdly, unity does not mean zero disagreements. Unity does not mean just all kicks and giggles. We're just always smiling at each other. I actually love and I want to contend for an atmosphere that the, the mission is at such a high stake and such a big mission that we're willing to have disagreements. But, but we're willing to have disagreements and conflict with, with a spirit of, of love and honor and respect. We're willing to listen to one another. We're willing to com- come to a, a common agreement despite our differences, despite our divisions, despite our disagreements, and move forward with greater resolve, with, with greater vigor, with greater energy. Are you tracking with me? does not mean zero disagreements. I actually welcome questions. I, I welcome us to have good, healthy conversations about issues that need to be talked about. So that's what unity does not mean. So let's just discover together what unity is, just one glimpse of the unity that Jesus is calling us to as he prayed for us 2,000 years ago in John chapter 17. He prayed that we would be one. Like I said last week, when the, when the city of Ames looks at LifePoint Church, what would they see? They'd see Jesus. That's what they would see, that we would be one. They'd see, whoa, that's, that's Jesus. I've never, I thought I knew who Jesus was, historically, religiously. Then I stepped into this community of believers, and I really met Jesus. There's power in unity. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 4. Last week we read the first half of Acts chapter 4. Now we're going to read the second half of Acts chapter 4. This is really early on in the infancy stage of the early church. At this point, the the church is made up of Jewish Christians. These are Jews that encountered Christ. It has not yet crossed the divide into the non-Jewish segments of society. These are Jewish Christians. And so their persecution right here in Acts chapter 4 is coming from fellow Jews. But Jews that hadn't encountered Christ, these are Jews that are upset that they're proclaiming Jesus Christ in his resurrection. They're hanging on to this guy, this figure. They're calling him Messiah. They're calling him Savior. Now someone's actually been healed and turned to Jesus. This lame beggar in Acts chapter 3, now Peter and John are being persecuted for proclaiming Jesus and stirring up a ruckus or followers after the name of Jesus. Let's just pray before we read, starting in verse 23. Lord, you're here this morning, and you're stirring our hearts to, to believe in a fresh way in your plan of redemption that you have, in your sovereign wisdom, chosen to use the church. Sometimes it confounds us. Sometimes we feel like, oh, there's got to be a better way. But that's your, your way. You choose broken people, imperfect people. But you're redeeming us with a perfect Savior. 
and you're forming us in, into more, a more accurate representation of who you are. And so, God, I just pray upon every single person here this morning, whether it be their first time, whether they're just passing through and they're visiting, or whether they're long-time long uh, members of our church, God, that every single person would realize that your plan of redemption does flow through the church. Your plan is to raise up a glorious bride, to bring heaven to earth through your church, Lord. Pray you allow us to believe in a fresh way in your name. Amen. Let's start reading here in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. This is Peter and John just getting released from being held captive by the religious leaders. They said when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. You catch that? Peter and John just being threatened by the religious leaders and where do they go? They go to their friends. I want to tell you one aspect of unity that I want us to believe for and have a, a confidence and a conviction in is that in church we got to have friends. In Jesus' church unity, we experience unity through, through friendship together. That is an aspect of unity that we, we cannot downplay. I believe the, the writer of the book of Acts, who's Luke, he used that word specifically, that they were friends. That means they enjoy hanging out together. I want to tell you, you got to have friends in church. You should have friends outside of church as well, but if you don't have friends in church, it's not really church. It's just an obligation. It's just a duty. It's just going through the motions. It's just spectating. That's not church. And here Peter and John, when they're in the, the heat of life, like the pressure is on, where do they go? They go to their friends. Their friends rally around them. I want us to be a church of friends. That doesn't mean that you're going to be friends with everybody. Or do you have to try to be friends with everybody? That's not what that means. But you should have friends in church. And my prayer for you is that you would have a friend, several friends here in this church. People that know you. People that can go beyond just the, the superficial niceties of Sunday morning. But they really know you. They know what you like. They know what you dislike. They know your, your quirks and your tics. They, they see God's work in your life, and they, they bring the best out of you. Everything with Joe was preaching earlier. He stole my notes. Your, your, God's best for your life is that you'd have friends in church. That's part of Jesus' church unity, is that we experience friendship together. Before I stepped into this role to be lead pastor of this church, I I did do campus ministry on the campus, Chi Alpha Campus Ministry, based out of this church. And for a number of years, on my wall, down in the basement of this church, I had written on my wall this quote, that blessed is the man who gets to be a part of something bigger than himself and finds himself surrounded by friends who share, him, who share his same passion. I could not envision any other way than going after something big in Christ than surrounded by people I love. I didn't want to do it by myself. I didn't want to be some spiritual cowboy. I want to do it locking arms with people I love. And that's God's best for your life. And if you've never experienced that, I'm telling you, you've missed out. You can go after something big in Christ, surrounded by people 
that truly love you and know you. You can have a shared vision, a shared mission, and accomplish something great together as friends. Now here's the caveat though. Friendship has to be, the, has to be foundational for mission. Friendship in the church is not an end in itself. Friendship in the church it should be a catalyst for mission. And you see that right here in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are being persecuted for being on mission. They're proclaiming the kingdom of God to a lame beggar. He rises up and walks. He's healed in the name of Jesus. That's our mission, to proclaim the kingdom of God to places in need across our city, across our globe. They're persecuted for it. The heat is on. The pressure's on. Where do they go? They go to their friends. But their friends aren't just aren't just kind of a, um, a, a refuge from the world, like a, a place just kind of pat them on their backs and say, yeah, you're right. Don't go back to those mean bullies out there. You just stay hunkered down here with us. No, their friends, as we'll see here in Acts chapter 4, become this catalyst for mission, for them to get sent out, to propel them forward in the mission of God. We'll see that here in a moment. It has to be a catalyst for mission. One mantra of, of my wife's and I that we've adopted over the last number of years is this phrase, make room at the table. I get that from the, the image of Jesus. As he did ministry and mission for his three and a half years on the earth, he did it gathered around the table with others, people different than him, many times with his disciples, with his closest friends. But with, what did they also call Jesus? They called him the friend of sinners. It's because he, he was willing to break bread with even people that were different than him. And it always became the, the seeds into reaching them. But he was, he was never exclusive in that. He always, he always made room at the table. And I want us to be a church that, in friendship being core to our unity, that we, we always make room at the table. We always make room for more. That we're never content that we'd say, ah, oh, I want to make another friend today. And this morning at church is even an opportunity for me to make a new friend. So we experience friendship together. Let's read, if you're starting in verse 24. And when they heard it, when they heard that report, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They began to pray together. And so secondly, I want us to realize that we need to experience friendship together. We also need to experience pain together. The church here, the Jesus church, they were willing to empathize and feel for the pain of Peter and John. And so Peter and John didn't even need to invite them into prayer. It was like they were commissioned into action, into prayer, into fervent prayer. Peter and John are in pain. They're feeling stressed out and, and fearful of the threats that are um, lifted up against them. This is our call to action. And so the Jesus church experiences pain together. We know how to lift each other's burdens, to carry the load together. Many times that does mean in the place of prayer, that we know how to carry each other's burdens in the place of prayer. In other, in other situations, it means carrying the pains and the burdens of each other practically by actually helping each other out in, in other in practical ways. But I want to tell you the difference between Sunday morning Christianity and seven-day-a-week lifestyle Christianity 
is the, is the reality that we're not insulated from each other's pains. Sunday morning Christianity kind of wants to have tunnel vision that I'm just kind of going through the motions. I'm going to sit, I'm going to go. Seven day a week lifestyle Christianity, what we're contending for as a church, realizes that we all carry pains, stresses, burdens, worries, and we're in it together. And together we are better. We can face more together. We can be stronger together. We can lighten the load together. So we experience pain together. And the early church was a strong bride. It was a strong church. They faced pains that that we'll probably never experience. But they did it together, locked arm in arm, hand in hand. Some called almost solely to the place of prayer. Others more front lines, taking the blows of persecution. We're all called to this place of sharing in the pains of living life in this world. So the person of persecution of two led to the whole church being catalyzed in prayer. I love it when people stop in throughout the week and they say, hey, can we just use the sanctuary? That happened this week. There was, there was a couple that received a bad report from the doctor. And so what did that mean? I mean, several other individuals from the church, they rallied around that couple in, in prayer and they said, can we just use the sanctuary to pray? Of course. We always try to accommodate that when we can. That is an open invitation. This can be a place of prayer where friends gather together to lift up these burdens of pain and the things that we face in prayer to our Father. And then there's a breakthrough. I love hearing the testimonies of what's happening in life groups when we're actually experiencing life together. And it's in those contexts of of our life groups or small groups that many of the pains that we experience are lifted through the place of shared shared burden-bearing. Here's a natural illustration. I've, I've never been super consistent with, with working out. Maybe Joe was speaking to me, convicting me for his references to working out. But I've never been super consistent with staying active and working out. But over the last 10 years, my, my best bouts or seasons of staying physically active have been seasons where I, I have a workout buddy. Somebody that's like expecting me to be there. Somebody that's pushing me encouraging me, celebrating, not that I need to be pampered, but someone just to be there alongside of me, enduring the pain of it all, because I, I just, I loathe it. I don't like working out, okay? Yeah, you're all looking at me, like convicting me. I, I don't like it. But maybe you've experienced those moments physically, whether it be lifting weights, or whether it be running, cardio stuff, where you have, where you have a workout buddy, And you feel like you've reached your limit. You've reached your point of exhaustion. You're ready to quit. And what does that buddy do? Either they're standing there or they're actually doing it alongside of you. They encourage you. They push you. They say they believe in you. You can do one more. They say, you got it. You got it. You said you wanted to do this. Go for it. And and somehow, somehow you muster up this strength that you didn't have before. And you persevere. You push through. And you make it. That's the power of what we can endure together, what we can persevere through together when we're in it together. Together we share the pains and the burdens of this world, and we accomplish more. We see breakthrough in more together. Are you guys tracking with me? Amen. Let's keep reading here in verse 25. 
He says, who, so this is them continuing this prayer. He says, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do, to, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's their prayer. Their concise but clear prayer. And so thirdly, I want you to understand that a Jesus church knows how to keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing. They know how to have crystal clear vision as, as to what is really important. See, the early church here, the Jesus church, they could have been easily distracted by these persecutions. They could have been completely veered off into the, derailed off the mission, the primary mission of Jesus. But what is their prayer? What do they begin to lift up as their prayer? They declare God is sovereign, as God is the, the one who sits on his throne, authoritative, that has predestined this plan of redemption. Long before they even stood there on the earth. That is a humbling perspective to have as they encounter Jesus in that place of prayer is that you and I have a place in God's redemptive plan. That's humbling. And so we got to keep the main thing the main thing. What, what is the main thing? There's, there could be a, a number of things that fit under this main thing, the main thing. But in this passage here in Acts chapter 4, I believe it's primarily the fact that Jesus is king and that others need to hear about it. You see, they, they, lift, they lift high twice this title of Jesus as the anointed one. And sovereign God, authoritative God the Father, predestining this plan of redemption. They lift high the reality that Jesus is king. He sits on his throne. And he's invited them into this kingdom. He's made clear to them this kingdom before their eyes that they are invited into. And I want to tell you, we're going to have many things vying for our attention. That is the, the, what's made the history of, of the church so messy. As the church has been ADD for centuries, chasing after all sorts of distractions, easily distracted, easily derailed, filling ourselves with all sorts of busyness and programs, Instead of keeping the main thing, the main thing, that Jesus is king and people need to hear about it. His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth, that's, that's what he came to proclaim. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is before you. That is what we're declaring to a world. We're, we're encountering together the reality of the kingdom of God, and we're making it clear to the world around us. Period. That's what we're doing. We want to walk more and more attuned to the reality of us not being citizens of this earth, but citizens of heaven, and wanting others to come along with us. We're going to keep the main thing the main thing. And they prayed for boldness and grace to see that through, to push through this temporary distraction, 
the Jewish religious leaders wanted to beat them out, beat that out of them. No, just submit to the, the way things have been. Let, let go of this message of this Savior and his resurrection. Let it go. So what did they do? They, they said, we're going to keep the main thing. The main thing, we're going to pray for this grace, for boldness to push through. And it was in that place of prayer that there was this perspective shift that so many times we just need to have. A moment with God where our perspective changes. And it's humbling in that place of prayer. When you lift high Jesus as king, when you just for a moment catch a glimpse of Jesus on the throne, predestining this plan that he's invited you into, that he pursued you. King Jesus pursued you and invited you into his kingdom, and he called you into action in this mission. That's humbling. But that's what took place here in the early church, in the Jesus church. And what happens when we have this perspective change, there's this, there's, there, there's this urgency that rises in our hearts. We say, wow, the time is short. Our time is limited. we got to get about the mission. And so all the busyness of church, the politics of church, all the, the waste-filled distractions of programs and things that come and go, all the flashy things that come and go in church culture, they, be all, they all become like rubbish, as Peter called it. I mean, sorry, as Paul called it. He said all the things that he used to pursue, now, the, now it's become like rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. It's in Philippians chapter 3. That's the way it is. When you just catch a glimpse of Jesus, all those other things just seem so silly compared to knowing King Jesus and making him known, wanting others to experience King Jesus like we've experienced him. It becomes crystal clear. Oh, that we'd be a Jesus church like that. And so let's keep reading here. Verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, there's an answer to prayer. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God responds to that type of prayer, that, that humble, crystal clear prayer to keep the main thing the main thing God shows up. He responds to that type of prayer it says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And it says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the, res to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Lastly, we experience together in Jesus' church unity, we experience a shared work of the Holy Spirit, which has taken place right here. So far, the first three aspects of Jesus' church unity that I've talked about are really like practical responses, things that we can foster decisively in our own minds, intentionally through our actions. We can pursue friendship. We can bear each other's burdens in the place of prayer and practically. We can keep the main thing intentionally in our, in our minds and our hearts. But this, this fourth aspect of Jesus' church unity is is a, is a supernatural and sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. I don't have a button somewhere I can press just for Holy Spirit to do a work that only he can do. This, this work here in Acts chapter 4 is what I pray on a daily basis over our church, is that Holy Spirit would show up and fill us in a way that only he can. And when that happens... 
That's what, that's what John chapter, that prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus is talking about. That's when the world will be convinced that he is who he claims to be. When the world will see us and they'll see Jesus. It's when the Holy Spirit comes and does a united work. You can't write a how-to church book on that. It's just the, the Holy Spirit showing up and doing a work amongst us in a shared way. It's what I contend for. That's what I believe for. And the Lord knew that's what they needed. The Lord knew that they needed to just be shook up a bit. You can imagine. Just put yourself in Peter and John's shoes or sandals for a moment. Here in, here in this moment, Peter and John are being threatened, like their lives are being threatened. Fear of man, fear of consequences, fear of pain could overwhelm them. But then God shows up and he shakes the room. Not even, I don't even know fully what that means. But God shakes the room, convincing them of his utter reality over the temporary pains and circumstances around them. And all of a sudden, any fear of man becomes washed away by the overwhelming reality of God. It's called the fear of God, which is a good thing. To, to fear others is not a good thing. Fear in any other context is not good. But the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And in that moment when God shakes a room, wow, God is overwhelmed. Like, you just want to please that God. The God that would shake a room, shake a place. And God knew that's what they needed. And it says they were all filled. Those on the front lines, those that did things behind the scenes, those that were intercessors, those that were musicians. Holy Spirit just filled them all for mission. And the room was shaken. And the verses that follow are, are precious in giving us a glimpse into the Jesus church. This is the outflow of unity. The outflow of unity is that we'd be of one heart and soul. We have a shared beating heart for King Jesus and his mission. And it says in verse 33, there was this grace upon them. That's the, the secret sauce upon a church. That when people just walk in, in amongst us, they see Jesus. There was a great grace upon them all to have a greater capacity for the presence of Jesus in their lives, a greater capacity to love their neighbor, a greater capacity to dream the dreams of God, a greater capacity to go wherever he would call us to go, there's a grace upon them all. And it called them to, to radical acts of obedience. They were willing to sell property, give things away, clear out their 401k for the call of Jesus. It's the shared work of the Holy Spirit. None of that was obligatory. Never once does it say the apostles stood before them and said, everybody, sell your lots. Bring the money up to our feet. It was never like that. This was a shared work of the Holy Spirit sparked by the promptings of intimacy through the Holy Spirit. And that's what I believe for us as a church, for our church, that we'd be called a Jesus church, that we'd be one, as he and the Father are one. I just want to end with this, this analogy, which is one of the most common images of, of the church in the New Testament. Most of you could probably say what it is. It's the body, right? The most common imagery or illustration 
of how we are to function together as a church family is what? It's a body. Diversity of parts, diversity of function, plurality of functions, but with one mission and one King Jesus as head. Now, if anytime you and I go to the doctor, what do we appreciate from our doctors? That our doctors hopefully tell us the truth, right? And when our doctors deliver us difficult news, that you have sickness in your body, they give us a, a bad report, we don't get angry at the doctor, right? Instead, we want to do whatever it takes to get rid of that sickness. We'll submit ourselves to the process of healing so that we can be made whole, so that we can, be, we can experience healing. And can I tell you, whenever I stand before you, I, I, I kind of feel like a doctor, like, like I'm delivering to us as a church family, humbly, as your pastor, a message that's meant to bring healing and wholeness. And I believe that there are many in this place, because I know myself, just even being in the church for a long time, I can easily get a jaded, warped opinion of what the church is like. But Jesus is giving us another chance. He's giving us a fresh start to see his church with his eyes. And when he prayed on our behalf 2,000 years ago, he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. So the world would be convinced that he was sent from heaven. And so I believe there's some healing that needs to happen. So I asked the worship team to come. They're gonna lead us in this song, Tremble. It just declares the name of Jesus. I want us to take a moment to respond to the word that was spoken this morning. Maybe there's an area of bitterness, cynicism, unbelief about the church. Maybe there's unforgiveness, maybe there's bitterness. I don't know what it is in your life that maybe the Holy Spirit would be pointing out this morning in your life, but I believe as if we're gonna function as a body, we need to be healthy and whole. We need all the parts, healthy and whole and strong to pursue all that God's called us to. Unity is possible. He wouldn't have prayed it if it wasn't possible. It's possible if we humble ourselves to the process and we fix our eyes on Jesus. So let's just for a moment, take a moment to respond to Jesus. Is that all right? I'm gonna pray over us as we respond. Lord, this morning, only you can gather such a diverse group of people and speak a clear word that's relevant to us all. And Lord, I pray this, this morning, just in these next few moments, as we take a moment to respond, the Lord, you would speak right into our hearts. Show us areas of, of unbelief, of doubt, of cynicism, warped opinions about the church. God, with fresh eyes, we'd be able to see your church as a bride united as one body. And we would hope for that. We would believe for that. We contend for that in your mighty name. Just take a moment. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.